We have a loaded Gaucho 9 podcast this week heading into the final weekend of the regular season at Hawaii. We start off with some game highlights. Then we have a great interview with former head coach Bob Bronsema talking about the postseason and the final regular season outlook in the Big West. We have the Week 14 draft from the series with Cal Poly with Gaucho Analytics and Gianni Bloom. We have Gauchos on fire. We have seniors to honor. Shout out all nine seniors who were remembered and celebrated at Senior Day. Shout out to Clayton Hall and Logan Barnier who could not be there. Great Gauchos. And we have a birthday to celebrate. Happy birthday to Atlas Hakame. Second birthday on Monday, May 22nd. That was yesterday if you're listening on Tuesday. So happy birthday, Atlas. This is all brought to you by our friends at Kyle's Kitchen. Enjoy the pod. It's one of the most beautiful views of any campus in America, the Pacific Ocean crashing against the shores of UC Santa Barbara every morning, noon, and night. Here's the one strike pitching. Mitchell belts this to deep left. Cabrera is going to watch it fly. And Curley pulls back the home run. And the Gauchos are going to win the game. Gauchos are going to Omaha. Can you believe it? Borgonio is back. He's going to turn and watch this one fly. A two-run homer for Clausen. And the score is due. Here comes Mitchell. He's going to score. Willits will make the catch. And the Gauchos are 2022 Big West champions. Payoff pitch to Casillas. Is a slider strike three called outside corner and Ager gets Casillas here with runners at the corners. Mustangs come up empty in the first. Gauchos coming to bat, bottom of the first, coming up on UCSBGauchos.com. Ager these last few weeks has had to pitch in tight games. This is driven to left center field. Back is Viegas. He's going to watch it fly. A solo homer for Bredauer. And the Gauchos take the lead. Tenth homer of the year for Bredauer as he golfed that one out of here. Trackman has it 102 off the bat, 398 feet. Slightly open stance. Here's the pitch, and it's swung on and missed. The slider, Stafford chases it for out number three. And Ager works around the leadoff hit by pitch. Strands two runners on base. He's got his fourth strikeout for Oak. Pitch from Worker. It is swung on and hit high in the air to deep right center. King going back. He's looking up. He's going to watch it fly. A solo homer for Nick Oakley. Doubles the Gaucho lead to 2 to nothing. Three balls, two strikes. Here's the pitch. Fastball, strike three called at the knees, outside corner, perfect pitch. 95 miles an hour from Ager, and that's the second out of the inning. Now field towards right center, infield straight away for the payoff pitch to Stafford. Fastball swung on and missed. Ager is through seven shutout innings with eight strikeouts as he gets Stafford for the third time. An impressive, impressive performance by Matt Ager tonight in front of the home crowd. He's got a 2-0 lead as we stretch it out here at Caesar Wasaka Stadium. Barrett's 1-0. Is in the air to right field. Mortensen going back in front of the fence. Makes the catch! 
<laughs> oh my gosh. It wasn't easy. Brock got turned around at the fence and he reached over on his backhand and made the catch. He was at the edge of one uh, opening and reached across the padding to the other to make the catch there. It's probably an old squirt. Here's a break them all. This is pulled into left field. Going back, looking up, and this one is off the top of the fence. Darby will score. Sundstrom will stop at second or stop at third. Double for Bredauer, and it's three nothing. And here's the pitch, and this is a base hit up the middle. Bredauer rounding third. He will score. Two runs, uh, two out single by McCollum makes it four to nothing. A loss there by the Titans in a. Result holding. There's a line drive right field line. That's going to get down into the corner. This might clear them all. Parker scores. McCollum scores. Here comes Nunez. He will score. A bases clearing double by Nick Oakley. Blows it open here in the eighth inning. And it's 7-0. One out. No score. Brooks delivers and this is hit down the left field line towards the corner. Viegas giving chase. He's not going to get it because it's over the fence for a solo home run. Xander Darby pokes it out inside the foul pole down the left field line and the Gauchos strike first in the first. That team in a tight spot. 1-1. Is pulled on the ground. Diving stop on the backhand by York. He will shovel to Brooks, who can't handle it. It gets away. Newman will come in to score. The ball trickles towards the dugout, and it goes into the dugout. Oakley to second base, and the Gauchos have a run. It's two to nothing. A run in each of the first two innings here by Santa Barbara. Trying to strike with two outs here against Stephen Brooks. Pitch is a base hit to center field. Uh, Oakley rounding third. He's coming home. The throw from Steeles gets away. It's over towards the third baseline. Nunez not going to chance it. RBI single for Nunez makes it three to nothing. Santa Barbara. Brooks kicks, and this one is driven to right field, high and deep. King going back, looking up. Number 42 for Brock Mortensen. A solo homer to right field here in the fourth inning to make it four to one. As Mortensen circles the bases with a fist pump, his 42nd career homer ties him for first all time. It's the second homer of the game for the Gauchos, a leadoff homer by Mortensen here in the fourth. He has tied Matt Wilkerson with 42 career long balls. Congratulations, Brock Mortensen. Sending started with a ground out to first by Corio on the first pitch. Steele's walked. Fenn struck out. Stafford singled off of Bremner. Barrett in to face Viegas here. And the 2-2. Fastball. This is popped up. Out into right field, Mortensen. Coming in, looking up, makes the catch, side retired. Barrett comes in and gets Viegas to fly out. He strands the tying run at first base. 
It will go to the last of the eighth here at Caesar Wasaka Stadium. Gauchos four, Mustangs two. Nibbling on edges, throwing soft away, soft low. One ball, one strike here. Here's the pitch. And here's a line drive out to right center. That's going to get done. Oakley scores. Here comes McCollum. Stopping at third is Brett Hour. Two-run single Darby, and the Gauchos tie it. That's a big swing of the bat by Xander Darby right there as it levels things at two here in the third. The two-out single. Scouting report does not suggest that because outfield is straight away. Infield, slight pull, hoping for a ground ball here. Count is 0-1. The pitch. This is banged out to right center. Moving over Sundstrom, and he reaches out, makes a great catch up against the fence. Going back to first is Stafford. He's got a hustle. He will get there. What an outstanding play by Jared Sundstrom in right center field. And with Fullerton being at Pauley, it's proven that they can win games. 3-2 to Parker is hammered to left field. High and deep. Villegas going back. He's looking at the fence, and he leaps, and this one is out of here. A two-run homer for Parker. Here with two outs in the ninth inning, makes it 9-5. He is Bob Bronsma, former head coach of the Gauchos, former player at UCSB, former conference champion former stolen base leader before Gerald Roundtree. <laughs> He's uh, also uh, now a voice that you hear when you're watching the Gouches on ESPN Plus with Jerry Fall. And uh, first time on the pod this year, but not your first time overall. So you're a recurring guest. Uh, Coach Bronce, good to have you. What's happening? Always, always a pleasure to discuss baseball with the man, Kevin Cannon. Absolutely. I appreciate that. So, Let's start out with Gouches on Fire, 1983. Where'd that come from? Uh, we're, we're, I want to plug the the Mark Patton article, which just came out on Newshawk this week, uh, 40th anniversary of that team this year. And uh, it was a 44-22 and 22 team. First time program won 40 games. It was uh, head coach was Al Ferrer. You were on that team. Uh, there were a lot of great things that happened this that year, including a, a crazy second half of the year. So. What was Gouches on Fire? What sparked that? Well, the Gouches on Fire thing came from the fact that uh, we we were on fire. We we were seventeen and seventeen at one point, and then went on a twenty five and three run. And um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to it, but the Gouches on Fire thing specifically is there seemed to be an ambu uh, fire engine going by up stadium road uh, every game that we were playing. And it was like, Hey, gauchos are on fire. And we'd go out there and we would just, you know, we would come from behind and we would just, the, the, the games we played were just electric and come from behinds uh, never out of a game. It was really a magical season. And so, you know, all the, all the, 
you know, the players through time that you talk to who have played on championship type teams and they all have special, each team has a special connection. This team certainly has, has one of those extremely special things. Um, and to just to go on a run like that. And that was when Fullerton was in the middle of this, their absolute dominance. Um, and, you know, we had finished third the year before, but couldn't beat Fullerton. And, uh, and it was, you know, that's who you had to go through and they were throwing running big leaguers if the big leaguer threw that place. And, so um, it was really, uh, we were the new kids on the block. And ultimately, once we did, we beat Fullerton in a doubleheader here. Um, just was in the middle of just us believing we can't lose. And that was the year when the Hammerheads came came into play and they were they were pulling kegs and storm at the softball. Yeah, so things and... were a little bit looser. Yeah. Back in those days, it was looser in the stands. It was looser in the dugouts. So chirping was a big part of the game back in those days. There was a lot of back and forth. Uh, you just had to be mentally tough. And it was just it was just what it was. And um, so what had happened was the uh, Pepperdine baseball team, Pepperdine was in our conference back in those days. Mm -hmm. They came out to a volleyball match uh, in Malibu and were pretty unmerciful. Uh, things that we would not condone from game management nowadays. Just let me say that. <laughs> uh, they were unmerciful on our guys. And so our guys, our guys being our volleyball team, and there was they were a bunch of those guys who were in a fraternity. And in that fraternity were a couple guys that that had used to be on the baseball team that either retired or was hurt or were cut or whatever it was. And so it became payback time and they came out in, in force. And uh, it started out with just a guy sitting. Uh, it was a high school facility. It was a backstop and, a, you know, a three chain link, things those poles that you've seen there before that was a, it was a wood backstop with a driving like range a driving bleachers. range driving mange mat on the on the on the back yeah. wood bleachers um and then you're right on top of the game you're right next and you're to right the on top of the game yeah and they came out and uh ultimately they would park a couch uh right in where like the donor section is now right next to the dugout and would have a field day cleanly cleverly and yeah. absolutely hilarious yeah uh, and that was really their mark they were not only clever but they were really clean uh for the most part it would be totally frowned upon in today's even the fact that they were clean and all that it would be totally frowned upon uh what happened because Quite frankly, they were inebriated for the most part. But even the fact that, that they were like that, they were still they were still pretty they were still clean ish. Well, in, uh, in the article, it, it states when Gouchers went to the Stanford Regional that year, it was a packed house. Yep. For both teams, fans from both sides. And I guess the last game, the whole stadium was a mess, except for where they except hammered. For their section. Absolutely. Park they were 
they hey they were UCSB students they were they were they were clever they were classy uh and they were persistent uh they once things got rolling they started carrying couches into the place they were before it was before they got interviewed they, they would carry kegs in and they would you know drink uh you know right there in the on deck circle and uh ultimately that got banned they also ended up you know the couches and iv there'd be couches and iv they'd rip these things out and then they cut out the cushion and they shaped it into a hammer and they painted it blue and gold and they would wear hammerheads on you know as a hat coming in and you'd hear them coming in hammer hammer when they're coming in the back gate that that one gate that is by the drinking fountain it used to be the one entryway into the facility that's not there anymore third base uh, side, yeah yeah and so they were awesome and you know usc came in and they were all over and dado who was the king of uh he used to recruit raggers because they could get anybody they wanted he just they used to bring in guys to just sit on the bench and rag as well he went to those guys after the game after games against them and and he said hey you guys are awesome he complimented them and it just kind of fed the fed the fire but eventually uh, they became too big and the news came out and interviewed some guys and they interviewed them at the wrong time. And, uh, you know, the interviewer, uh, the interviewee was on the tipsier side of sober and kind of said, you know, we have beer shakes for breakfast. We have beer shakes for lunch and we have beer shakes for dinner. And we are all about the gauchos. And then the next week that was done because that got on the news and that did not bode well, as you can expect with the university. So the the carrying the kegs into the stadium was gone, but it didn't stop them from carrying it into the uh, to the adjacent facilities behind us, the softball or the or the pit that was there. And they just kind of, and there was, there was bushes and it was weeds and it was ridiculous. And so they could hide the keg back there. And then they just ran the tap through and they didn't have the crack staff security events oh, we that, have. that right. we have now. Yes. That's right. Anyway, so it, it continued and it was just awesome. And, you know, so I said this last night uh, or yesterday in the, uh, in the broadcast for the Cal Poly game and I said, Cal Poly kind of came in and, and and took the wind out of the fans. I don't know if they were sitting there listening to the extravaganza or what, but the place was dead. And that's when I said, this is this is the time of the game. When we were down, you know, we were down by three or four at the time. I said, this is the time of the game. It'd be like the seventh inning. We'd be down by three or four runs and it would be dead. But the hammerheads would then step up and they would start getting it going. And they would do the stupid cheer. Not what stupid cheer, it was a phenomenal cheer, but they would, they would stand up. Uh, Casey Gorman, more times than not, and he would stand up and he would say, is this the baseball bat? And then all those guys, all 25 of those guys, go, yes, that's a baseball bat. Is this a baseball? Yes, is this a baseball? And then they'd go, is that the losing team? And they would point to the end and they all go, yeah, that's the losing team. And they go, is that the winning? And they would, that's the winning team. And the place would go, then they'd go, gauchos, gauchos at the end of it. And the place would go crazy. And it, lifted up the energy in the park because it was it was wood stands but it was packed it was standing room only just a, you know 
we had a similar amount of people in, you know, you'd have close to a thousand people in, in, in that ridiculously small area, uh, in the stands along the thing, uh, down the sidelines where the locker rooms were, because those were just, that was just green area where you just hang out, and watch the game, just hang out and watch the game. So there are people there. It was packed and they lifted it up and we responded. It seems like every time. And, that is that's and I know I'm going overboard, but it was yeah. it was special. It was spectacular. It's the value of what your home crowd could do. And it it's uh, it's very difficult to get the crowds nowadays to to get fired up and make a fool out of yourself, kind of uh, one, because people don't know how to do it. And two, it's you know, it's tough. It's tough, uh, but we really fed on their energy and we were a team and you know, you see how special they are because they're still back. They give more, they give a lot of money to this baseball program. And there's not, there, there was a handful of baseball players on that, in that group, five of the 30 guys that were coming in and out. And there was a core group. And then there were the, you know, the wannabes that jumped in on the deal and all that type of stuff. But there was a core group of guys. And those are the guys that come back and support your program right now. And it's, it's awesome. Well, I, I played with two of them at the, at the tournament. I played with the Gorman brothers. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. And yep. those guys were Casey. great. They were all American volleyball players. They were great uh, players. Uh, yeah. We used to, our team used to go out and support them as well. And that's when they used to play back in the event center. But yeah, Casey has really done a phenomenal job rallying up those troops like he rallied up the crowd back when he was a student. That's the legend of the Hammerheads. When that season ultimately came down to a single playoff game, right, against Fullerton. Yes. At Long Beach, not at Blair, but at their Neutral campus. site, yeah, on their neutral campus site. field. They had a neutral field. site, and we know how, well. well and it, and it, was a, it was a comeback win. Right yeah. down four one. Wound up coming down back. Four one. Uh, set up four straight pinch hitters. I think three or at least at least three of them got on. And then Kent McBride, who was uh, pretty magical that season, came up with a big double that ended up scoring, and we shut him down. And you know the last couple innings, and we dogpiled, and it was awesome. And uh, you know it, it, everything was extremely different. It was there was far there was there wasn't sixty four teams. I'm not even sure there were forty eight teams back in in those days. Might have been forty eight teams, but it was it was losing your out in that game. Yeah, and so uh, you know it's just if I think Fullerton still got in. I'm not sure, but because uh, Fullerton was you know was the was the the beauty queen of the conference and the kind of of the west west coast uh because sc had was starting to to diminish um and so yeah they were they were the golden child and so it was it that just added to how special it was well it it was cool to read that article and i mean coming down to this last week of the season i'm not i'm not saying that it's you know you have to win but these three games that the gouchers are going to play in hawaii in a hustle environment in front of, I'm anticipating there being a full house uh, at Lesmere County Stadium this weekend. There are going to be three really challenging games that feel like playoff games uh, from the first pitch to the last pitch. 
And the other thing that I want to talk to you about for phase two of this, but shout out to Mark Patton and writing that article. Uh, pretty cool. Read that earlier this morning and just. Mark is awesome. Mark has, yeah. yeah. Mark has the history of this town and it's, and he's a, he is a jewel for all of us. Yeah. And I, I want to promote that on this and I'm, I'm trying to somewhat follow in his footsteps by having this stuff on. And I, or, I think it was one of the first episodes of this with Al. He talked about those four straight pinch hitters uh, and making that decision. So listeners want to go back. I think it's like episode five, six or seven or eight. One of those. Uh, But let's talk about this weekend because there's five teams with a shot coming into these last three games. Uh, UC San Diego, they're reclassifying from division two. They are postseason ineligible still. It's their third year. Their season is over. Shout out to those guys, Eric Newman. Phenomenal season. They're a team that deserves to be in the postseason, and I think that they could win a couple games if they went. But because of reclassifying, they're ineligible. Um, Shout out to Matt Harvey and Ryan Bob as well, former Gauchos. So that means the other five teams have a shot at this. Uh, Some a better shot than others, but still – I would like to talk about the the scenarios. So it's the Gauchos, Cal State Fullerton, CSUN, UCI, and Hawaii, all within uh, three games of first of second place. Quotes second place. Um, and the games this weekend, Gauchos are in Hawaii, Fullerton is at Cal Poly, CSUN is at Bakersfield, and UCI is at home against Riverside. Gouches and the Titans, both 18 and 9, tied in the loss column with UCSD, who's 21 and 9. CSUN, a game back of the Gouches and the Titans, 17 and 10. UCI, two games back. Hawaii, three games back. Now, there is a scenario where all five teams could tie at 18 and 12. We don't want to talk too much about that. That would, be, that would be bananas. So let's let's... Let's talk about the Gauchos and their scenario because they have the tiebreak with UCSD because they swept them. They do not own the tiebreak with Fullerton because they lost two out of three. If the Gauchos and the Titans, and this is a question for you, if the Gauchos and the Titans both sweep and all three teams are tied at 21 and nine, what determines the conference champion? So the Big West bylaw states that if it's a two-team, it's head-to-head, and that's clear-cut, right? So that's a simple thing. But with this being a three-team, it is not as clear-cut. And so they take the aggregate record of those three teams against each other. And that is a great thing for the Gauchos because they're four and two against those teams. Uh, UC San Diego is three and three, and Cal State Fullerton is two and four. So... um the Gauchos would then win that scenario. And that's uh... so the Gauchos, if they could take care of business and that's a big if obviously with all the reasons you stated, all of this is uh, speculation. Yes. They're at least, they're at least sitting in the best position in that scenario. Correct. In that, in that specific scenario. And part of the reason why I like doing this is because it's, it's fun for me to talk about this. I don't get to talk about it very often. And when the Gauchos are in this situation, it's fun to talk about this with someone who's been there and, and seen a lot in a person like yourself and who's experienced in talking about it. Uh, 
on the streams with Jerry, which I'm sure you guys have broken down many a time over the uh, the course of the season. So the the other question mark here is if San Diego finishes first place outright, the second place team gets the automatic bid. Is that correct? That's how I understand it. Yeah, I think that's how I understand it as well. It, it, it would kind of have to be. You're not going to be, you know, playing shoots and ladders. Winner takes it all, or Rochambeauing, or flipping a coin. Yeah, flipping a coin. No, it's second place team would be the automatic bid person, and uh, so in that scenario, um, does not bode as well for the Gauchos because unless it's Northridge. So if it's Fullerton, Gauchos don't have that head to head. If it is Irvine, Gauchos don't have that. But if it is Northridge, they would. And if, if, it's Hawaii, uh, if, if it's Hawaii, it's they definitely won't. So right. if, if Hawaii comes back and ties the Gauchos, that means that Hawaii would have swept them. You're saying right. if the Gauchos are tied with Fullerton, CSUN, sorry, Fullerton or UCI, because the Gauchos do not have the tie break with them. They finish the season tied in second place. They would lose the tie break to Fullerton or UCI. Right. But that's a that's a remote scenario as well, because both Fullerton and Santa Barbara would have to lose two games. Correct. Well, I mean, that could happen, but I don't necessarily see that. And Northridge would also have to lose because if if Santa Barbara and Fullerton lose two games and Northridge sweeps, they're the champion. They're in second place. And, and they, they uh and they play uh they're they, at Cal State Bakersfield. Now they're on the road, so you know, there's there's some wiggle room there. So it's it's why you like talking about it because it's 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 a there's, it's a it's there's so many awesome, possibilities, Bob. Awesome time of the year. Yes, yeah, awesome time of the year, no doubt about it. What's this? And in playing in Hawaii the last three games of the year, Gauchos are going to be starting these games at 9.30 Pacific time. So you will know the results of some of these games before you right. start. At least I certainly will, which will add to the drama on the broadcast. But yeah. the team will also know at some point before or during the game the results, depending on what Andrew wants to do. And what yeah, the I don't think I, don't, I, 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 I think I don't know what Andrew will want or what the the players will do. I think you want to eliminate that that other opponent, that stress, right. that pressure. You, you right. Put your phones away and let's go out there and let's play and let's beat Hawaii tonight. Because the That's fact of the matter is, for the years to yeah. win tonight's game, don't worry about other people. Uh, you, you you worry if you if you mess things up, then you can go check. You check all you want after the game. If you have lost, if you've won, you just go win next game. Now, the other fact here is if the Gauchos win all three games and Fullerton loses one, the Gauchos are the champions of the big West by virtue of tiebreak with UCSD. So in that line of thinking, they control their own destiny. Correct. And that's how you want to handle it. You don't want to keep adding these extra things. Don't go to the beach, wear your sunblock. Don't, you know, don't go in the water. Don't look at your dang phone. Don't look at the phone. Stay off the phones. 
So, which is it could be the most impossible task any coach would have at this in this it's, day and time. it's a challenge. It's a challenge. So Hawaii fifteen and twelve, Gauchos eighteen and nine. A win Thursday for Santa Barbara would eliminate Hawaii from playoff contention. So Thursday is a very important game. Not to put too much on it. Here are some scenarios for the Gauchos. This one, I'll just I'll just lay them out here. We've talked about if Gauchos sweep one Fullerton loss, tiebreak champs with UCSD, a sweep of UH and Fullerton sweeps. That's the three co-champs with the aggregate tiebreak. One loss by UCSB and Fullerton, and UCSD is the outright champs. Fullerton has the tiebreak with four teams, UCSB, Irvine, CSUN, and Hawaii. They can finish ahead of UCSB by winning just as many games or obviously more over the course of the week, the weekend. CSUN, 17 and 10, one game back. They have the tiebreak with Hawaii and UCI. They can finish second if they sweep Bakersfield and UCSB and Fullerton loses two of three. I think we mentioned that. UCI, 16 and 11, two games back. They have the tiebreak versus UCSB and Hawaii. They can finish second if UCSB and Fullerton get swept and UCI sweeps and CSUN loses two of three. So as we go down the standings, it gets more and more unrealistic. That's yeah. And I think if you're, if you're a big West proponent and I contend that I am me too, uh, your best chance of getting two teams is UCSB and Irvine Irvine with the best RPI in the conference. (laughs) You'd like to see them get in. Now that's a, that's a tough thing for an old coach to say because it's good for the conference, but you recruit the same players and all those types of things. So there's a, a double-edged sword on, on that type of thing. Um, but ultimately, the strength of the conference helps everybody. And uh, you know, the fact and- that UC, UC San Diego's come in and, and had been has been as good as they are, um, as, as, it, as bad as it might appear, it's great for the conference. Um, what we need, Cal Poly will bounce back. We need the Bakersfield Davis Riverside portion of the conference to elevate, elevate. Yeah. Correct. So here's one, here's one little different thing that's kind of out there. That is, is a challenge. Gouches are going to get in. Okay. Uh, they get back from Hawaii, uh, I don't know, Sunday, or I don't know what your flights, you know, flight plans, they get back Sunday, uh, uh, you know, so they're going a six hour flight, six hour flight. And then three days later, they're going to be on a flight somewhere else. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tougher scenario than driving up to Cal Poly, playing Cal Poly and then coming home, resting, sleeping in your own bed, getting a full night's rest. You know, all the routine is the same. So that's something once the gauchos get in, we already got we already got one little excuse to so if everything anything goes south. <laughs> so. Well, look, this team already had to face some adversity as far as travel at the beginning of the season and responded very well. And that was coming back from Arizona, thinking that you're playing a four game set against Oregon, but that gets moved to Eugene. You have to fly in late. You wind up winning those three yeah. games with with the Ducks, and then have that's, this, all know, games canceled and driving up to Cal Poly. So, 
they have had that experience before. Yeah. And that's not the only reason that sweep of the ducks is not the only reason I think the gauchos are a lock, but it's a, it's a strong reason because Oregon's in and it's going to get, and that's why, that's also why I think that Irvine, because I think ASU is now in that mix of getting in and they swept ASU at ASU. So that gives Irvine if the committee is looking at things, but we we'll talk about that later, maybe. Well, so let's, it's a good transition right now. Cause the third thing that we want to talk about was the tournament. Uh, we did this last year. Can't remember if it was on the podcast or if it was on one of the broadcasts, but we broke down. You had all the teams picked, and it you got all of them right in last year's. In your in your final projection, you got every single one right, sixty four for sixty four. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, but to be fair, I did not. I did not uh, put them in brackets. I just picked the just team. Picked them all. Yeah, I picked the teams that I thought would be one through four seeds, and um, and it was really mostly based on what I thought the committee would do, not necessarily what I think. Because the year before, I went with my West Coast bias, and I probably I I I I think I only got two, maybe three wrong the year before, because I said, hey, I I think these West Coast teams deserve. It. I think this was it, and they and they didn't, and I got burned by my philosophy that I've I've thrown out there many times is that it's the people in the room get those last four five schools in uh the gauchos were beneficiary of that in 2000 and was that 13 and UC Irvine was a benefit on it in 2014 both of those schools were last teams in deserving deserving yes had the Big West commissioner not been the chair of the committee, the Big West has has been shortchanged many times before, and the likelihood of that happening those two years was probably pretty good. So uh, we've also been hurt by that. I know back in 2008, we got shortchanged. We got jumped by a fifth-place team, and that still sits in my craw. And it really is based on who is in the room and they have the ability to look at whatever they want to look at, right? RPI record against top 25, you know, records, you know, strength schedule, they can pick and they can cherry pick whatever thing that it's, it's a confirmation bias, like everything in life, they can cherry pick what they want to fit that scenario. And so um, that's, you know, that's, that's a reality. And I'm not, I'm not bemoaning it. Uh, it is it just, it is what it is. And so last year I said, you know what, I think this is what's going to happen. And then, and those ones I might've gotten wrong, I ended up getting right. One, one question about in regards to that, before I get to some of the tournament stuff, does having like a top five ERA or having a, a couple pitchers who are national pitcher of the year candidates, does that matter? Like, like the personnel that you have that you're bringing to the table in the tournament. Does yeah, that sometimes, sometimes it didn't help Cal Poly last year, did it? It did they not. Had, they had the player of the year and the pitcher of the year, and they had one of the best players in the country. They'd love to see Brooks, Brooks Lee play. I agree. And so that, you know, so once again, pick and choose your dart that you want to throw on the board uh it is yeah sure it is that's an argument that they're going to make hey we'd love to see you know we'd really love to see 
Michael Martin get into that playoffs one more year, and you know, so. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I it's, I think everything's on the table when you're the first four out or last four in. Absolutely, and so you mentioned Big West stronger this year. They are one of seven. So there's 30 conferences in Division One baseball. The Big West is one of seven that has seven or more teams in the top 100 of the RPI, which is great. They are a top 10. RPI conference, which bodes well for them in this selection process. So just to, to finish up, uh, let's go through your, uh, let's go through your bracket, what you have right now. Who are your, uh, yeah, well, okay. Well, that's a good question. Who are your, who are your hosts? Easier to talk, uh, conference by conference, but let me, uh, let's go, let's go alphabetical order conference champs. How about that? Okay, I'm, I'll, I'll give you what I've got as far as my number one seeds right now. Okay. Okay, so and I'll give you my caveats on it right now because things will change. So, and this is not in any kind of order. I have LSU, Wake Forest, Kentucky, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Stanford, Coastal Carolina, Texas, Oklahoma State, Florida, Clemson, Miami, Virginia, and then these are going to change. So those those are the one seeds. No, the, I have hosts. two more. I have two more. That would potential be, host. Okay. Yeah, those are one seeds and host. Dallas Baptist mm -hmm. and a Boston College. So I have to look. I I made these before last week. I have not necessarily adjusted them, although I did move Texas in. Now Indiana State probably deserves to be in as a host because they are uh they are like a top 10 rpi tenth I think, currently 10th currently right so they could easily move in and because it also gives throws some teams closer to the west for travel so i do like indiana state in there um because in that in that list the only west coast school is stanford uh, I've seen I've seen Oregon State tossed around, but they're kind of on the outside looking in. Uh, right. And then I mean, the next they're, closest, they're, they're in there. Their yeah. Oregon State is Oregon State is is on the cusp as well. And we but like I the next we, closest, but like the next closest to the West Coast would be Dallas Baptist, which in Dallas, Texas, obviously right. Indiana State. But now Texas, Indiana, Texas, Texas is now in it, and they were not necessarily in it a week ago. Correct. So that could hurt Dallas Baptist. And I, like I said, I haven't looked at this clearly. I was trying to figure out the teams that were going to be, that were getting in. Uh, we needed to have this zoom on Wednesday where I would have had a better clue, but Indiana state, their AD is on the, on the committee. So not only are they intensity, they are going to, they are going to host, uh, in my opinion. So they are going to move from a two seed to a one seed based on my formula of who's in the room. That'd be awesome. Sycamores hosting. Yeah. I think East Carolina, they have someone in the room and they are also worthy. What, what are they? They are a, uh, well, they're with that 24. That can't be right. They're not 24. Are they? Oh yeah, they are 24. So maybe yeah. not. I think they would have, have they would have the to room. win. They'd have to win their conference tournament. I think. Right. Um, and Washington has something. Now Washington, I thought I originally had Oregon state in last week with the caveat that if Washington 
ended up beating Oregon State this weekend, they were definitely going to host as the second. Now I've moved Oregon State out. And I only have one. Uh, with the idea that this is going to change uh, after this. Well, after. All well, yeah, we, still have, we still have the Big West end of the regular season and then all the conference These tournaments. tournaments. Uh, there's already right. there's one team. There's one team that's in already. And that's Pennsylvania. Yeah. And, and, got in. and so the other thing, you know, my original bracket that I sent you when you say, hey, send me what you got. I didn't wasn't really prepared. I didn't even have 64 teams that I could come up with. But I could come up with the fact that there are conference bid stealers. Yeah, so I, I do want to talk about that. Bubble busters. Yes. Right. So the, the schools like, uh, let me go to my I have, I have I have five conferences. I have five conferences. The American. In athletic. The Big South. The Colonial. The Missouri Valley and the Sun Belt. Okay, I don't have the Sun Belt because the Sun Belt for me is already going to get four. They're the they're the fifth ranked conference in the in. So, for me, a bid stealer uh, is a is a one bid conference that has a first place team that is going to get in. Uh, that's that's in whether they win or lose their conference. That, so that would yeah. be that would be the American East or sorry, American Athletic with East Carolina. Yep. That is the Big East with UConn. Mm, that is okay. So you have Big East in there. Yeah, because I think UConn's going to get in. They're uh, what? They're, I, I yeah, know. they're in. They're in. But they're twenty-five, they... so they're going to get in. Xavier's at fifty-seven. So, but I still think it's a one-bid. In traditional thoughts, it's a one-bid conference. Right. I think the Big South. I think Campbell is automatically in. So yeah. if. SC Upstate, South Carolina Upstate upsets them in the in the tournament. I think that steals a bid. And that think, that was the series this weekend. It was Campbell and USC Upstate. Right. And Upstate won two of three. Campbell had to come from behind the last day. Oh, is that how it worked? Okay. To yeah, win the yeah. to win the regular season. Uh but yeah, Upstate fully capable of beating Campbell in the tournament. So I have I have Conference USA because I have Dallas Baptist. Okay, UTSA. They're in, and they got UTSA, and so is FAU. Mm -hmm. FAU is in that mix. I have both those teams out right now. So if somehow one of those two teams, 67, 68 RPI, they steal a bid. The Colonial is questionable. Colonial could be the conference that their champion, Northeastern, gets the short. Might get left out. Yeah, they. but it's possible. They're at 30. uh, Last time I checked, they were like at 31. Still there. So they could they could get, but they could also get two in, and that would definitely be a stealer. And, and, and the, the colonial, Valley. well, and colonial. One thing on colonial, uh, UNCW won the regular season championship. Northeastern okay. did not so win the regular season championship. Right. So that gives uh, a feather in UNCW's cap. So. Well, or 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 it takes something away from Northeastern if they don't win the tournament. Correct. Correct. To say, well, you didn't that's win the regular likely, season. That's that's more likely to happen. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Missouri Jordan Valley, Valley, Indiana State is in. Uh, you know, the closest one to them is a seventy-six. I think Missouri State. Yep. Uh, and so that's those are the you know one two three four five five maybe six but five bid steals out there possibly. And uh, that would hurt a UC Irvine. That's going to hurt 
uh, you know, potentially, well, it's not going to hurt Washington. I'll tell you that much. Uh, it's not going to hurt the pack. Might hurt a big 12 team because they went from a, from a, uh, a four bid conference to a seven bid conference based on, you know, their latest weeks. Yep. So it's going to, it's, uh, it's going to turn into a normal bracket because like I said, last week, I'm thinking there's, there's not a lot of teams that you can really make a case for that can are bubble, but that bubble got pretty crowded here this last week. Yeah. The bubble was soft last week. It's, it's starting to fill up. And yeah. I mean, to be frank, the, the Gauchos are, they're, they're in that bubble range. They are. I think the Gauchos, unfortunately, I, I think the Gauchos are in, but I think they're in as a three seed, whether yeah, they win be, or not. Yeah. Obviously, it would be great to be in as a two seed because you, you yeah. play the first game at home or as the home team. And, but at, you get more at bats if you're the visitors. You get to pound somebody a little bit there extra. Go. There you go. <laughs> so, you have to throw the extra inning, though. Oh, no, you don't. Yeah, still, still the same thing. Who are let's see, what are who are a couple teams that'll probably win their that are mid majors that'll win their conference and their conference tournament that could be dangerous in the postseason. Besides Indiana State, if you've been paying attention to other other goings on goings on around the the nation. Well, not really. As much as I'd like to say, I've got a uh, you know Aaron Fit knowledge on all these things. Uh, I am I'm peeking in every now and then. I have not broken down every. I mean, I have the conferences. I've looked at the conferences, and I've you know made my picks Just based gut. on that. Give me gut, some gut uh, feeling. Okay, from a mid major. Okay, so I think East Carolina clearly it okay. would, would fall into that. It's an easy answer. Uh, yeah. It, well, shoot, easy answer. Um, you know, I don't think Dallas Baptist is going to make that run, but clearly they could. Uh, of course, the Gauchos. The Gauchos, I don't care what seed they are, they have pitching depth. Uh, Mike Gutierrez coming back. Uh, it, they Andrew is able to manage his bullpen in a, in a fashion I think he likes and is comfortable with, um, you know, especially if he can uh, get some quality innings out of JD and uh, like he has been for the most part, a lot, you know, not necessarily yesterday, but he has certainly uh, been on that fringe of being a, a solid Sunday guy. So um I don't know what changes he would make, but certainly the Gauchos pitching, they would probably be my uh, my number one dark horse out of that group because their RPI is in the you know upper forties, and so they would qualify uh, as opposed to you know uh, Indiana qualify, State qualify in terms of this question. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Since you bagged well, on my first one, I have to <laughs> go back and I go back to my bag. Well, I'm. I'm I was hoping for something like a, like an army, out of the Patriot League who won like, yeah, you could you could had a huge up. winning streak at some point this year, and then like LMU who's, who's a pretty well, good team, who's got some good pitch in depth as well, who won the WCC regular season, 
or uh yeah I, yeah i prefer speaking on stuff i i <laughs> i know and i'm comfortable with uh uh pulling stuff that you know i'm not you know i don't i i broadcast on espn i don't work for espn so i can't be throwing out things like it's uh, true some crazy bizarre things i got my reputation at stake you're absolutely right well i think you did a great job with this it was a little short notice you are a busy man you have other responsibilities other than spending all morning writing a bunch of notes down to try and make sense of all this uh on a podcast talking for 30 minutes however there's nothing i'd rather do i that's why you're here yeah absolutely that's why you're here um, well, it's been great having you and I had a great time broadcasting with you the few games that we got to this year. Look forward to doing it again next year. Yeah, I agree. I want to, I want to, I want to blow you up here a little bit that, uh, from an administrative standpoint and as next coach, um, really appreciate what you do for our baseball program, uh, and how much you do for the baseball program, how much you promote the baseball program, the dirty work you do behind the scenes, invaluable stuff. You're a classy kid, and we are incredibly blessed to have you. We're glad you're back, and thank you for all you do. Appreciate that, Bob. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Gotcha Analytics is here, along with Gianni Bloom. It's time for the Week 14 draft. Gauchos take two out of three from Cal Poly. They move to 35 and 17 overall in the season, 18 and 9 in the Big West Conference. Their RPI sits at 49 with three games left on the road this weekend against Hawaii. 18 and 9 record, as you guys heard earlier in the pod, is tied with Cal State Fullerton. They are tied in the loss column with UCSD, who's 21 and 9. Uh, vote results. Vote results from this past week. Gianni Bloom comes out on top. 40% of the vote. It was an anonymous vote. So maybe he told his friends that he was uh, team number one. Or his friends listened to the pod and they knew which uh, picks he had but he came in first. Devin came in second, 31%. Isaiah, third, 17. And your host, your gracious host, last place at uh, 9%. But I did that on purpose because that means I get to pick the moment of the week in the third round, which uh, I'm glad that I get to make that pick. So you have that to look forward to. Uh, G, I want your thoughts on the weekend before we start. I think uh, for the most part, it was a really good weekend. Um, you know, when you're when you're trying to lock down conference, you always want to sweep and, and kind of win everything you can. But I think the pitching was dominant for the most part. Um, I think we're we're putting it together offensively, and and you know, I think winning two out of three against a rival that really wants to come in and beat you is always a good thing. Um, I think we're in a good place. We're ready to go. Yeah, I'll, I'll state it again. It's hard to sweep teams in this conference, uh, especially when the conference is, is back up where it has been uh, this year. 
I mentioned at the beginning that I thought it would be back, and the Big West has proven that it's back. Uh, it's been a challenging conference season, and it's going to be a challenging final week of the season in Hawaii, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So let's get to a few notes and figures before we start. Christian Kirtley, 210 career games played. That ties him for eighth all-time with Jason Willow our Canadian friend who is also a five-year gaucho. Uh, Swiss Army. <laughs> shout out Jason Willow. So 210 career games played for both of those guys. And Christian needs two hits to get to 200 for his career. Uh, he was the 10th gaucho to hit 30 career homers. Right now he's 10th all-time in total bases, and he's tied for sixth all-time in home runs. The national rankings – for some individual and team stats, Hudson Barrett leads the NCAA with a 1.58 ERA. That is 0.12 points lower than the second place guy. Matt Ager is 24th in ERA, 2.57. And he is also fifth in the NCAA with 113 strikeouts. UCSB is fifth in team ERA, 3.76. They are 11th in strikeouts per nine, 10.4, and 45th in home runs at 84. And every home run the Gauchos hit adds to the current record that they are setting this year, school record in home runs. Let's get to the vote and the standings. Gianni, with his win, vaults into a tie for first place. Congratulations. Oh, my. It took you... It took you what nine weeks? Because you started a little yeah. late, came in here late, and uh, you went from zero to hero. How's that make you feel? My siege. I feel like I've sieged first place. It feels really good. <laughs> so, uh, wait, not done. I'm tied. I'm tied in first place with him, right? Or is he yeah, so solo? G, G and Devin. G and Devin tied with 19. Isaiah in second with 18, and I'm in last with 17. So I was a tiebreaker. It's a big vote this week. Big vote this week. How do you have the tiebreaker? <laughs> More coin flips one. Probably, mm, probably coin flips. I guess I am over two on those. Odds and evens. I, but if I come in, I win that because I'm two and oh. Uh oh. Oh, I'm on okay. No, I made that rule up. Now that it doesn't serve me. <laughs> Listeners have heard a lot about tiebreakers on this podcast. I'm sure they don't want to hear anything <laughs> more about tiebreakers. They're over it. You don't want to. You don't want to go over all those scenarios for who can so what's, win. So what's the rule when like, on the third day of of April if they did the, anyway? <laughs> Let's get to the vote. Uh, our hitter of the week, starting with no pitcher of the week. No hitter of the week. Yeah, hitter of the week. Guess. Starting with uh, starting with your host, I get to pick first. I don't have the stats pulled up. Now I have the stats pulled up. I'm kind of torn between two guys, but I'm going to go with the smoke, Nick Oakley, who was four for 10 on the week. That's a 400 batting average, not a dead stat. He had one double, one homer, four RBIs. Those came on Friday night. He had the bases clearing double in the eighth inning, which uh, broke the game open. After the Gauchos had scored a couple times, he hit the solo home run against his former high school teammate, Bryce Worker, his uh, fourth of the year. 
He had a 455 on base percentage. He also committed no errors in the field. Scored three scored three runs, which led the team. So Nick Oakley, he had a diving stop as well uh, on the infield. Nick Oakley is my player of the week. Isaiah, you are next. All right. I'm going to go to the hot corner. Sander Darby, four for 12, 333 batting average, slugged 583, had one homer. Kind of squeaked out a bit, but, you know, we don't talk about that. A homer is a homer at the end of the day. Also had a two-RBI single to tie the game, I believe, as well. And I said also had a 385 batting average. Uh, on base, and base, sorry. Solid pick. Yep. Uh, third pick, I'm going with, um, even though he's only played and started in two games, I'm going with Aaron Parker. He hit 429, 556 on base, and a 1.143 slugging. He had three hits, th- uh, three extra base hits, and a home run, and two RBIs. And then he also had one walk, so he had a good weekend in his two games. So Aaron Parker is my hitter of the week. And he came into the weekend stuck on – was he stuck on nine doubles, or he got his 10th double, I think, earlier in the week, but – he was stuck on nine doubles, nine homers for a while, and so now he's at double digits in both categories because that really matters. But good yeah. job. <laughs> G. I'm a little torn here, but I'm going to go with Ivan Redauer. 250 average, but had had a few hits in there. Uh, seven total bases for a 583 slug. Uh, had a really big night on Friday. Uh, hit home run to break the tie in about the fourth. And then follow that up with the RBI double uh, later in the game to kind of help cushion it, put it out of reach, and, and get some different arms in there. So, I mean, when Ivan's on, he is a very scary big fella in there. And so I'm taking Ivan Drago. Okay, turn it back around. Pitcher of the week, G. Pitcher of the week. I mean, this guy's, you know, weekly pick here. I'm going Matt Ager. Um, just dominant again, those seven innings. Only gives up five hits, zero earned runs, eight punchies, uh, opponent batting average of 192. I mean, Friday Ager is a real thing, and he's just getting more and more dominant and going deeper in the game. So, Matty. Yeah. Well, he, he threw uh, 123 pitches on Friday, and I thought that this week, like he's had flashy performances where like the strikeouts were up and he's, he's mowing down guys and he's efficient. Like, and those are great. But this one I thought was really like, he really gutted it out, put the team on his back, pitched out of some real jams, made pitches when he needed to, got the, the good Cal Poly hitters out when he needed to. And just carried that gauchos through that game and willed them to victory. So yeah, it's been awesome seeing him seeing yeah. him do that. And last pitch of the game was ninety-five for a punchy with a K scream. Um he's starting to get that look in his eye. We all know that look. Second pick, Dev. Yeah, this is a tough second pick, probably three or four dudes to choose from. So I think Isaiah and Kevin, you guys might be a little happy with who I don't pick, but I, I'm gonna take Mike Gutierrez. He get, he started the Saturday game. Gave us three innings, one unearned run, only one hit, four strikeouts, and then give up a single walk, which is really impressive. And opponents only hit 091 against him. So Mike Gutierrez was my pitcher of the week. And we we calculated these before we started recording, but 
in games that Mikey pitches in in his Gaucho career over spanning two seasons. The Gauchos are 20 and five when Gutierrez pitches and Ager on the other side, he's pitched in 38 games in his career and the Gauchos are 28 and 10 in those games. So if we do a little remedial math combined, the Gauchos are 48 and 15 when Matt Ager or Mikey Gutierrez pitch. That's pretty elite stuff right yeah. there. And it's great having Mikey back. It just it just changes everything. Isaiah, who got? All right. I'm going to go with Tyler Bremner with a 193 ERA. Got a win, as Kev calls it. It's a vulture win, as he says. Four and two-thirds innings pitched, only three hits allowed, only one run, one walk to six punchies, six to one. I don't know if that joke's getting old or not. We're getting to the end of the season. But batting average against was 188. Yeah, and Brem's been electric. He's been electric. Out Friday, it was Ager, 95, Barrett, 95, Whiting, 95, and then after Mikey is throwing frisbee changeups, Bremner's <laughs> out there throwing 95, 96. So Brem's been fun. He's had a resurgent second half, which has been great. I my pick, I'll go with Hudson Barrett. Just two and a third innings, but he got the save on Saturday in that four two win. Did not allow a hit. Or a run, he walked two, struck out two. He came in with a couple runners on. I think tying run was on on first in the eighth inning with two outs on Saturday, and he got Vegas to fly out to right. Vegas, the uh, the three hole slash cleanup man for uh, for Cal Poly, and that was a that was a huge moment because Cal Poly is knocking on the door in that Saturday game, trying to come from behind, and uh, that secured the series win. So Hudson Barrett is my pick. For pitcher of the week we'll move on to moment of the week and the blue chipper for this week is brock mortensen number 42 solo homer on saturday tying the all-time career school record and uh it felt like when and i talked to him about it but he said it felt like there's a huge weight lifted off my shoulders so we're we're psyched for Brock. Uh, parents are there; they're fired up. And if that does indeed lift a weight off his back, and he is free to roam and smash this weekend in Hawaii, then that's advantage Gauchos. Um, and Devin brought up a good note before we started. He did it in 167 games. Um, Matt Wilkerson, who also holds the record of 42. Did hit did that in 216 games. So Brock did it in 49 fewer games. Which Brock is, has uh, hit a home run once every four games. Yeah, it's impressive. He is uh, the definition of a home run hitter. So congratulations, Brock. Uh, tied the school record against your former school uh, on a Saturday. So good for you. That's the moment of the week. Uh, Isaiah, what do you got? I'm going to go back to yesterday not offensive but defensive gerald as gianni calls him 
running down a ball in the gap. I mean, the runner from Cal Poly thinks it's easy. He might even score on the play. Somehow, some way, Jared turns on the Jets, catches it, almost doubles him up, but Jared was running so fast, had to maintain his you know weight to get onto the wall and make sure he doesn't get hurt. But, yeah, that was pretty insane to see. Yeah, looking like a gold glove center fielder. Only we had track man for defensive things because that probably would have been insane. Or uh, what, stat, stat cast? Yeah. Stat cast, see how fast he was running? See how fast, how much ground he covered. Or the uh, – I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the percent chance that they would make the play or not. Mm. Like, he made the play. What does it matter if it was a 10% chance or a 25% chance? Anyways, we'll move on to Devin, moment of the week. <laughs> yeah, so I'm also doing a defensive play by Brock Mortensen on Saturday. Yeah, uh, stole it from G. <laughs> yep, top of the eighth inning. You're up 2-0 with where – and Cal Poly is running first and second, two outs, and a deep fly ball to right field. Felt, felt like it was about to go out, and then Brock running into the fence makes a great catch to get us out of the inning and uh, save the two runs, save us from being tied with Cal Poly, which then led to a five-run bomb in the eighth inning that just uh, clinched the game for us. So great defensive play from Brock uh, is my moment of the week. Yeah, one of those one of those moments in a game where the momentum shifts, and there were definitely some of those this weekend where one play is made or not made in one half inning, and then plays are made or hits are executed in the other inning. So, and that was one of those where it's Paul, I think they might have a double or might have a three run Homer and Brock, he got tied up at the wall too. Like he was in the wrong spot initially and had to adjust up against the wall to make the catch. So that was uh that was gold yeah. glove type play and a big spot. Good pick. G hope you had a second one lined up. I got a great one lined up. Uh, I'm going with this Nick Oakley's Friday performance. The Cal Poly killer. Uh, the mayor of Santa Barbara. This guy knows what it means to be Cal Poly. Um, just checks in when it matters. That dude's a bulldog. Uh, so give me that Friday performance with a bases clearing double. A homer off his good friend. Uh, and then comes out the next day and, and hits a ground ball to first that the guy makes a dive and play on and just absolutely hustles for the single, lays out in the first. They throw it away, gets us a run. I mean, that's that's how we play, and that's how Nick Oakley plays, and he was firing the guys up all weekend. So, yeah, Oakley is a Cal Poly killer. That's, uh, that's a great point, something that I missed because we could have calculated Oakley's stats from last year against Cal Poly, and I pulled him up right here as you were saying it. He, had, he was six for 11, four doubles seven RBIs last year against Polly follows it up this year, four for 10 double and a homer four rubies. So in two years, Oakley 10 for 21, five doubles, a homer, 11 RBIs. <laughs> That's pretty good. Those are the very bond. <laughs> <laughs> and if you look at his career against Cal Poly, the Gauchos have lost two games. I think the, uh, the loss yesterday broke a nine-game winning streak that the Gauchos mm -hmm. had. Nine-game winning streak. Yeah, three out of four is freshman year, I believe. Yeah. Three out of four, 2021. 20, lost the second game of the four-game series. 
So won the last two, swept last year. That's five. Won two earlier this year. That's seven. And then won the first two games this weekend. That's nine. I got an honorable mention moment. Um, this senior day ceremony, just to honor and give a recognition to all the seniors as they'll be missed next year. What a good season they've had. So thought I'd include that as an honorable mention. Great job, Dev. It's good work by you. That's why we have you on the podcast, Devin. Thoughtful, <laughs> guy. thoughtful guy. I didn't I didn't include uh the games earlier this year from Oakley against Polly. Two for seven. So it just adds two more hits. But yes, he's uh so he's had a yeah. Cal Polly killer, as G said. <laughs> uh so you, you get to turn it back around for hardest hit of the week, G. Hardest hit of the week. Sometimes it's the farthest hit competition, uh, but this week there's a clear favorite in the field. Give me Gerald backpedal Sundstrom at 112 on the ground. Uh, he hits it hard. Get a roundup. Oh, did I get another point there? Is it 113? You do get 113. Yeah, you want to round up? I mean, that's a missile. Good for whoever fielded that one. Second, Dev. Uh, uh, the second, I'm going Sundstrom's pitch clock home run. That didn't count. Oh he hit 100, 108 miles per hour. Ball went 417 feet, according to the track, man. Absolute bummer that it was a, the pitcher waited a second too long, and the ump's called time for the automatic ball that he just destroyed 417 feet, so. The pitch clock home run is my hardest hit ball. That's a hang with them right there. Dang, Dev. <laughs> Isaiah. <laughs> this is looking like a Jared uh, category, honestly. Jared Sundstrom, line drive double, 110 off the bat. I mean, the guy was just hitting it hard. Guy hits it hard. And fields, too. Look at him. Five-tool player. All right, so Isaiah's doubling up on Sundstrom. I'm tempted to just make it the Sundstrom category. Should do it. Do it. But, do what your heart wants. But I'm going to double up on Mortensen, his home run that tied the school record, 408 feet and 104 miles per hour off the bat. So there. Uh, let's see. And he, and he got the ball. And he got the baseball. And you got the baseball. Pitch of the week. Best pitch of the week. And whenever I pick this, I'm always in a dilemma of going with quantity of good pitches versus green boxes. (laughs) And I think I think Devin for uh for listeners and and a of a couple of weeks, we will do a breakdown of all of the picks that were made in the draft. So, like players that were picked the most often, the categories, the the types of pitches that were picked, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, we will have a full breakdown, statistical breakdown of the draft uh, at the end, at the end of all things. And so, I, I wish I had that info right now to help <laughs> pick to go. Okay. 
do I want to go this one that has less pitches but more green boxes and better numbers in the green boxes or the pitch that was thrown the most but has really good numbers? So that's that's what I'm torn with here. Clearly. <laughs> And I'm really torn with this one. We can we can pick we can pick ours and then come back to you. So it's yeah. Not, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> All right, I'll go Gutierrez changeup. Gutierrez changeup. He threw it 22 times. He had four strikeouts with it. He struck out uh, the batters with the changeup all four times. His strike percentage was 73 percent. His whip percentage was the highest on this list, 58.3%. His called strike whip was the highest on this list, 50%. Nobody got a hit off of it. And the on-base percentage, or OBPA, whatever that is, was just... On-base uh, percentage against. Okay, was uh, 125. And because nobody got a hit, there's zero slugging as well. So the Goody changeup is filthy. So that's the first pick. Zaya, I'm sorry I took your pick off the board. I did want that you pick. Can, you can take Ager. Go for it. It's okay. I'm going to go <laughs> with Brebner Changeup, oh, actually. No! <laughs> the Brebner Changeup got 4Ks on it through its 66, no, 74% of the time for a strike. Whip percentage was 50, which is the second highest to Goody as well as second highest on the call to swing with percentage with 40.7 and people batted 250 against him on the changeup. Dev? Uh, with the third pick, I'm picking Whiting Fastball. He had two two appearances and he had five strikeouts with his fastball being all five of his strikeouts through 40 times at a 78% Strikeout percentage, 28.6% whiff, uh, 40% called strike and whiff. They only hit 200 off of it, and only the only hits were singles, and it also topped at 95.1 miles per hour. So Whiting Fastball is my pitch of the week. Mm. The, the topped out at is not listed on this graph that you shared with us. <laughs> Do you want the, the change up That's topped out? Good. You want me to find that no, real quick? Okay. For you? No. Okay. Let's move on to Gianni. Good changeup. Well, you guys left a crazy pitch for me to have with the fourth pick. Give me the Ager fastball. Threw it 72 times, almost double the next highest pitch uh, as far as amount amount of times thrown. I had four Ks with it. 70% strike, 71% strikes with it. Um, Had some whiffs, opponent betting average of 125. I'm taking a different angle. If you can throw something 72 times, it must be working. Um, just dominant. Here it is. It's coming. It's up in the zone, and it's 95. What are you going to do? Good pick, G. The, uh, the right pitch there. that he threw it twice as many times as was his other pitch, the slider, because he threw <laughs> a lot of pitches, and we mentioned that earlier. So mm-hmm. nice job, Matt. Uh, good picks, guys. Nice work this week. As always, you can go vote. Follow Gaucho Analytics on Twitter at SB Baseball Data. You can also watch and listen to the Gauchos this weekend. Reminder, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. 
All 635 starts in Hawaii. That is a 935 first pitch on all three of those days on the West Coast. 12.35 a.m. if you're listening or watching on the East Coast. Uh, as we will be in Hawaii against the Rainbow Warriors. Always a tough series in Hawaii. What is one key to going and playing and winning in Hawaii, Gianni? Because you've done it before. I think the one key to going and winning in Hawaii is just playing one pitch one game at a time and believing that gauchos are on fire, baby. Gauchos are on fire. Great way to finish the pod. Uh, we'll have those games on UCSBGauchos.com. I'll be there for the broadcast. You can watch on ESPN Plus as well. Uh, Devin, G, and Isaiah, great work. Isaiah, have fun this weekend. You're not going to be in Hawaii. Hope you watch slash listen. I will be watching. I'll be supporting full support. Good. I hope you feel my good vibes, my good auras. Always. Hope it helps. Always. Um, yeah. Aloha, guys. Thank you, as always. Thank you, Kev. Later.